We're continuing in this series of Who's Your One? John chapter 1, verses 43 through 49. I'll also look at Matthew 13, 45 and 46. But the focus this morning is John 1, 43 through 49. As you're finding your way there, uh, you've got the Gospels there in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's the fourth of the four Gospels. So you can find your way there. You know, we're, we're prone to think of one as small and insignificant. You know, a lot of times we just think, if I just do one, but I, wanna, I want to encourage you, who wants to eat just one cookie, right? Who wants to eat just one cookie? When I sit down and I have my snack at night, sometimes twice, depends upon when I have it, um, usually about five cookies is what I'll eat, about, drink about that much milk, you know? Uh, just have that little snack. Um, well, who knows the value of just one dollar? Well, today it's a lot less than it used to be, right? You know, but there's a value of just one dollar. If you add them all up, you got a lot. But, you know, uh, who can eat only one Lay's potato chip? Some of y'all are probably like, I don't know why you said that. Do y'all not remember that commercial? You know, there used to be a commercial back years ago. Who can eat only one Lay's potato chip? Well, but the Bible constantly speaks of one. One pearl of great price. One lost sheep. One wayward son. Disciples of Jesus often overlook the value of one. One invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one co-worker, one friend. And when you think about that, can you name one person who has come to Christ through your invite and witness? Can you think of that one person? Well, I hope that you will be able to do that soon as we continue with our challenge of who's your one. And if you've been on Wednesday nights, you've been trained in the three circles. So you've got a way of sharing in that way. So you've got the who's your one. Who, who is it? Can you name that one person who's come to Christ through your invite and witness? Well, the gospel is what makes it possible for that person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 says it's the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. And Paul in the same passage says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we should not be ashamed of the gospel. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation, first to the Gentile and then the Jew. And we need to make sure that we're understanding that it is our responsibility as believers to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. To, to teach them all the things that Christ has taught us. And he's going to be with us until the end of the age. That's what we need to do. That is the great commission of the commission. Excuse me, that's the great commission of the mission of the disciple. And that needs to be known of us. Who is our one? So as we look today, we're going to look at how this is important. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 49. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. It's... It, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 43 through 49. It says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, 
how do you know me? Jesus answered said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Now, if you could flip over very quickly, I'm going to put my marker back in here, and you look over to Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Yet again, this is another passage of Scripture that emphasizes the one. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, it is the account of Jesus speaking to Philip. Uh, Philip uh, going out and uh, finding Nathaniel. I say Jesus speaking to, to Philip, but really, truly, Jesus speaks more to Nathaniel than he does to Philip. Philip speaks to Nathaniel. And so today, as we look at this, uh, we see where Jesus had been just in the verses prior to verse 43 in John chapter 1. We see where Jesus has already started accumulating the disciples to himself. We talked a little bit about this last week, about how he went down and he said, Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so he calls upon them to come. And he, he uh, going back up into verse 40 of that same chapter, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And then we get into our passage of Scripture today. So Philip was recruited into the apostles after the first group was beckoned from their boats. He called them from their boats. And they put down their nets. They left their father. They left their occupation. They left their family. And they followed after Jesus. And so Philip was found in Galilee by Christ and called to follow me. Jesus didn't just say, listen to what I got to say. He didn't say that alone. He didn't say, here's a list of rules, follow these rules. Jesus said, follow me. Do as I do. And so many times we hear in our lives, and as parents, we've been challenged, don't tell your kids to, to just listen to what I say. Uh, don't do as I do, is what I've heard it said. Don't do as I do, do as I say. Now, we, if we're not going to model it, don't expect your kids to do anything different. Don't expect anything different from your grandkids. If, don't, don't say... Uh, don't do as I do, do as I say. That's not how it works. We need to be the example to which we think our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren should follow. That should be labeled of us. So when Jesus tells them, come, follow me, he, he's saying, be like me. Be like me. And I know so many of us, we know we're, we're flawed. We've got our issues. But we've got a Father in our Heavenly Father that says, I can make things right. I can fix this. Just as that Saul said, in the hands of the infinite. You know, that's where we are as believers. In Jesus Christ, we're in his hands. So we, we follow him. And Jesus, like I said, he didn't give him a list. He, he absolutely gave him the example that he wanted modeled by the apostles. And the will of God, as, as we see this, as, as Philip goes out, the will of God is, is that everybody find repentance. We know in Hebrews it tells us that God is not slow as some consider slowness, or King James, slack as some consider slackness, but it's his desire that all come to faith in Jesus Christ, that all come to faith. 
And it's important for us to know that his desire is for people to come to faith. And Jesus says, how does this come? Well, Mark 1.15, Jesus says, pay attention, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's how you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians, for it is by grace through faith that you are saved. It's not of works so that no man can boast about this. That's what he's telling us. So we come. We come by repentance. We come by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And we say, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow him. I don't want to just come to church and be lectured from the Bible. I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to just sit in a Sunday school class and hear this, many of the same stories year after year after year. I want to be like Jesus. And I want to go tell people about Jesus. I want to see people changed by the grace of God. I don't want to just see them sit in my Sunday school class or sit on a pew. I want to see them go to heaven. I want to see them be on mission for Jesus Christ. There's got to be a burden for those that are lost so that those that are lost may know and those that may know may go tell and those that tell reproduce themselves as disciples of Jesus Christ. And this will require intentionality on our parts. It's got to be intentional. It will not just happen. It will require accountability for you to stick to this commitment to be a disciple. And you will need to have partners uh, who will join you in this mission. It's a mission of every disciple. And you notice that Jesus began calling individuals to a team work. Look there. We see Andrew goes out and calls his brother Simon Peter. And they team up. And then the next day, the following day, verse 43, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He finds Philip. It says they follow him. Well, Philip says, you know what? I'm going to go find Nathaniel. He goes, finds a, a friend of his. He said, you've got to see this guy. We found, of, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. This guy's name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, for some of us, we know, we, I mean, you think about different areas. You think, can anything good come out of this area of town? I mean, it's, it's like little small pockets of communities outside of the bigger city. You know, and they're like, I don't know if anything good could come out of that town. Well, he's like, well, you know what? He doesn't argue with him, does he? He doesn't argue with him. Oh, man, that town's a great town. What are you talking about? Why are you dissing on them? Why are you, why are you talking all this bad stuff about these folks? And he's like, he don't argue with him. He says, come and see. Arguments hardly ever win anybody for Jesus. Arguments. Listen, social media... You know, people are like roller coasters on social media. One minute, oh, I'm going to post a scripture verse. The next, ver next time I post something, it's got a cuss word in it. The next time I'm going to post something about Jesus. Next time I'm going to post something that's filthy. Next time I'm going to post something political. Well, next time I'm going to post something about Jesus. You know what I mean? Like they're just up and down and all over the place. Come on, get your act together. Your social media is just as much of a presence of who you are as who you are physically in the community. Matter of fact, there's probably more because many of you may not even be in the community very often. So that really, that's your contribution to community, social media. So where does that fit in the, in the mindset of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Where is your Christian, where is your disciple contribution in culture? I mean, if it's just, I don't know where this part. I mean, I used to, years ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, I might actually engage in with somebody and say, dude, why are you posting this? It ain't going to do no good. 
If you can't talk to him face-to-face, it ain't going to do a whole lot of good. And even face-to-face, a lot of times ain't going to do a whole lot of good. But you need to, if you're going to engage, engage face-to-face. At least you can show love. I mean, a text message can be read with any kind of inflection, with any emphasis on any word. I mean, you think about that. You sent something to somebody possibly at one time or another, Facebook Messenger, text message, something of that nature, and they totally took it the wrong way. Why is that? Because you're not there. Your inflection is not in the text message. It's not in the message. It's not in the Snapchat. It's not in whatever it may be. It's not in there. But we've got to be true to what Christ has called us to. We've got to be disciples. And what's, and what's to be named of us is to be truth. And what's to be named of us is those folks are disciples of Jesus. They're disciples of Jesus. I can see that. I can see that in this post. I can see it in that post. I can see it in their speech here. I can see it in their talk there. I can see how they treat this individual and how they treat that individual. It doesn't matter. It's supposed to be a disciple. We're supposed to be disciples of Jesus. And so our our community should see us as who we are, and that's disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we are that, we we will need uh, we'll also need maturity in this area as a disciple maker in order to persevere in the mission and point others to the transforming hope of the gospel. We have got to mature. And, you know, maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you're a new believer. I know we've got some that are, that are still fairly new in their faith. And so it's not an immediate thing where you go, boo. Some people it is. Praise God. Give glory to God for those that... That man, when they come to faith, man, it's just like it's just like everything, every bag, every piece of luggage just drops off. It's just like boom, they're done with it. Some folks, it takes a little while. They're working to unload all the, the baggages because the straps are around their neck and over their shoulders and everywhere else. I've seen people illustrate this over the years, and it takes a while to get all that baggage off. You know, uh, I got a I got a gentleman that that I become real good friends with, and we talk on a regular basis. And I'll never forget, it, it took him a long time. And he, it, at times, he still struggles with choosing his, his words, his language. And uh, we were out on an event. Uh, we were on a men's retreat one time. And he's, and he's still growing in his faith. And uh, we're walking down through the woods. And, uh, and, and, I mean, it's a real wooded area down on the coast. And uh, our pastor at the time, he's just walking through. He's got on flip-flops. I've already told everybody, don't wear flip-flops. I, by the way, I don't like flip-flops. But anyway, I told him, don't wear flip-flops. You know, we're out in the woods. So he's walking, and he's just walking, you know, talking and trying to make people laugh because that's just part of who he was. And then um, this gentleman that I'm talking about was walking right next to me, and he just blurts out, oh, bad word. He said, there's a snake. And uh, our pastor had just stepped over a snake, literally stepped over a snake. And I was like, oh, wow. And then, like, he was apologizing to me for the rest of the trip. He was like, I was like, dude, it was a snake. Our pastor almost stepped on us. I said, now, listen, I'm not justifying using the word. But I said, I know you're coming along. We've talked about this. You're coming along, you know. But, but uh, anyway, you know, there's, there's, when we come, when we, when we uh, people come to faith, you know, we're going to mature. And he was maturing in his faith, I'm telling you. He has got a brain like a sponge. And I mean, like, he just reads all the time. Reads all the time, man. And he is so knowledgeable. And, 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 and as far as that goes, it reminds me of Matt. Matt, man, I'll tell you, he reads something and he remembers it forever. I'm telling you, he's just smart, absorbs it. I'm telling you, this ain't Matt that I'm talking about, though. <laughs> okay, so don't think I'm talking about Matt. But this is another fellow that went to church from me at Farmstead. So, 
Anyway, but, but like just, man, everything that he reads, man, it just blows my mind. Like I've got to read things over and over. But he was just, he's maturing in his faith. And as you mature, you're taking those things off. You're saying, I, I don't need to say that anymore. I, I, don't, I don't need to go there anymore. I don't need to do this anymore. You know, God's, God's my sustaining grace. He is my fulfillment. He's the one who replaces those things in my life and puts this with me. You know, and, and, and that's as you mature, that'll come. And you mature through continuous study of Scripture and engaging in the mission of a local church. That's how you mature. You got to be in the Word. You can't be a lone ranger in your faith. You know why you can't be a lone ranger? Number one, because lone ranger really wasn't lone. He had Tonto, didn't he? Okay, it's so funny, you know. He's the lone ranger, and here's Tonto raising his horse right beside him. He wasn't lone. Anyway, we all need somebody with us, right? We all need a tag team partner, if you will. You all need that person, and, and, and the Lord knows this. The Lord knows that. We need to ride into the mission with someone to reach the world alongside us. We need that tag team partner. And those who confess Christ will also embrace this important mission, sharing Jesus with others. Those who confess Christ as Lord, uh, they'll do that. And we know that the mission is the Great Commission. I've already said that, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So we must commit. If we know what the mission is and, uh, commit, and we commit to be an intentional witness, we must commit to go and tell. We must commit to go and tell people about, about him. We've got a lot of opportunities to do that. You know, the women's retreat. Part of that is to build up and encourage, but it's also to go and tell. We want to have as many ladies to come in and hear about, uh, about how wonderful Jesus Christ is. Now, I know it's about kind of going to different places, but it's about understanding who Jesus is, and it's kind of using the flavor of the areas to talk about Jesus. So that's what that's about. I think about our one-day D now that, that the churches are putting on together. Man, we're going to be able to speak into the life of kids. We're going to have a, a great worship band come in. We're going to have a speaker come in and small groups and all that kind of good stuff. Listen, it's an opportunity for us to go and tell and have, have young people come in and hear about Jesus Christ. And each disciple, each Christ follower, we want each one of us to invite one unchurched person. I want to challenge you to do this. Invite one unchurched person to breakfast, lunch, or dinner this year. I'm not saying this week, but sometime this year. Invite someone in. Share your testimony and tell the gospel story. Tell the gospel story. Invite one family in your neighborhood to your home. Invite one family in your neighborhood to your home. Choose one of your family members to tell his or her story of coming to Christ. Say, hey, won't you, tonight when we invite so-and-so over, I want you to talk about what Christ did, how he changed your life. I want you to share that. When we consider this interaction with Philip and Nathaniel, we don't see someone who gave up, argued, or guilted. He just compelled, come and see. Come and see. So often it seems like we have been encouraged to use one of these other methods to get people to come to Christ. Arguments or guilt. Right? Arguments or guilt. I mean, it's, neither of these are very effective. Right? Arguing with someone to come to church, arguing with someone to, to be a part of Sunday school, arguing with somebody to be a part of worship, whatever it may be, it usually don't work very well. Guilt don't work very well. I mean, it just don't work very well. The best thing to do is say, come and see. Come and see. 
Check it out for yourself. And let God do his work in you. And it might, be, it might be that that day you get saved. It might be that day that someone gets saved. It might be that day that, that it takes, I've heard it said, it takes 82 church members. I think I'm going to quote this later on down in here somewhere. 82 or 85 church members to reach one unsaved person. That would take every one of us. I mean, we've been averaging around 85 folks in worship for the past, I don't know, two or three months. We've been averaging around 85 folks. It would take every single one of us loving, sharing, showing the gospel of Jesus Christ for one unsaved person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So you want to know how important you are, you as a one, how important you are to the, to the gospel mission of this church? Very important. Very important. Very important. Philip also knew who Jesus was. He didn't just know about him. He knew him for himself. So we, uh, we too must know Jesus, not just know about him. The more we know him, the more people should see him in us, right? I mean, you think about that. I've always heard it said, you are the company that you keep. I've heard it said, you are the company you keep. You hang around a bunch of folks, uh, the five people that you hang around with, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the median of the five folks that you hang out with. Whoever you hang out with the most is who, who, who you're going to be experienced. You're going you're gonna to think like them, talk like them, be like them, dress like them, all that kind of stuff. That's your group. So if you want to change, you probably have to change your group. It doesn't mean that you abandon, but what it does mean is you say, look, if I'm a believer and this is an unbelieving group, I need to be the light in this group. And if I share the gospel, I, need to be, I don't need to be the one being influenced. I need to be the influencer. And I've, I mean, in today's culture, you know, they say, oh, they're an Instagram influencer. They're a TikTok influencer and all this stuff. People make millions of dollars doing all kinds of stuff on these social medias because they're influencers. How can we change millions of lives by being a spiritual influencer? I mean, I follow folks on Instagram and TikTok and different things like that that are believers, sharing the gospel all the time. You know, Tim Tebow, I think about uh, the good news guy. I can't think of his, his full-on name, but he's on there all the time talking about that. I follow Good Book Mom and for the church's account and it follows some different things like that that, that are influencers that help us to know more about Christ. We need to be influencers. As parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, we need to be influencers in our children's lives. Don't let, don't let social media alone. Matter of fact, it'd be good if they don't get a social media until they're probably 16 or 18 years old, if ever. But if you're going to do that, you be more of the influencer than the phone. You be more of the influencer than the social media. You be the influencer, not it. But the challenge is this, to, to call old people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Andrew invited Peter to come to Jesus. We see that before we even get into our scripture today. And then we see where Philip invited Nathaniel. We see that. It can't just be, you know, we, we have got to share the gospel. We've got to share it with words. We've got to invite people to come see. And, you know, we always think we need to have a big event to invite somebody to. No, we need Jesus to invite them to. We don't always have to have something showy. Listen, as a youth minister, I've done youth ministry for a long time. And one thing I always argued against was the was an ongoing bigger, 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 bigger event. Because if you draw them by a bigger event, you've got to have a bigger event to keep them. Now look, there's nothing wrong with big events from time to time. I like them. 
But you got to understand that can't be the, the thing all the time. If not, you can't give away enough gift cards. You can't give away enough bicycles. You can't give away enough ponies. You can't give away, you can't give away enough whatever it may be. If all it is is an attractional opportunity. You know what's attractional? The fact that Jesus loves you enough to die for you. The fact that Jesus loved you enough to, to, to go through everything that you and I could go through, yet not sin. Die in our place for our sins. That's attractional. That draws me to Christ. Someone who would die for me? What? What? You think about men or women that are in the uniform from the military, and, and you know they've gone into service, and they've returned, and you think, man, you put your life on the line for the freedom of us. And, and sometimes we feel like, well, that really wasn't for my freedom, but nonetheless, it was for somebody's freedom somewhere. And you're willing to give your life for that and to be trained for it. There's something about honoring that. We, we, need, to, we need to be people that invite and people that are trained and prepared to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the challenge is, just as we see Andrew invited Peter, and we see where Philip invited Nathaniel, the challenge is for each one of us to reach one person. To reach one person. Who is your one? We've got, like I said, we've got the board back there. I've got a few more here in my pocket. I keep hitting it with my arm. Well, I've got a few more here in my pocket of names of folks. I don't want to pull them out too far, but we've got some names right here. We're going to put them on that board back there. We're going to be praying for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we need to be doing that. Why? 2 Corinthians, what Paul wrote there. 2 Corinthians 3, 2-3. You are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. What Paul is writing is, what we have shared to you, what we have shared to you, you have taken it and made it your own. You have taken in the Word of God. You are the message. You are the message. I've shared the message with you. You are the message. You share that with the next person. And it's ongoing and ongoing. You are our epistle written on our hearts. We want you to know. We want to keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this scripture is revealing, uh, what the scripture is revealing is that the message given to one is the message one gives to the next. One gives to the next. So let us make sure the message we're passing along let us make sure we know the message we're passing along so those to whom it's passed are prepared with truth. Matter of fact, the very last verse of your Sunday school lesson today, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We need to know the way, we need to know the truth, and we need to know the life. We need to know that. So as we've looked through this passage of Scripture, Jesus even knew his heart. Jesus knew Nathanael's heart. You look there in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Wow. Well, that'll blow your mind, won't it? Where was this fig tree? We don't know. How far away it was? We don't know. But we know this. Jesus knew where he was. And Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knew where you were before you came to him. He knows where you were. And he knows where you are. 
He knows your heart. And as we talked about last week, he, uh, or maybe it was uh, last Sunday morning or Sunday school, I can't remember, but uh, he, he perceived their thoughts was one of the lines. It might have been in Sunday school. And he, he knew what they were thinking. God knows your thoughts. He knows where you've been. But you know what? He still loves you the same. He still loves you the same. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And he tells him how he knew him. And Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus, and I didn't read this a moment ago, but verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> you will see greater things than these. Sometimes, I mean, we don't always think of Jesus as being kind of humorous. I think Jesus at times had, had, had a sense of humor. He was like, you thought that was something? Just wait and see. Just wait and see. This ain't nothing. This ain't, this ain't nothing. And he said to him, Most surely I say, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Okay, wow, okay. Now Nathaniel's like, let's, let's check this out. Let's see what's going on. I'm going to come and see. You want to come and see? I want to encourage you. There's things that we've got to put aside. There's things that we have got to, uh, we've got to commit to recognize and repent of, and that's excuses. We've got to put these things aside. If you want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's what we've got to do. So here are some things I want to challenge us into uh, recognizing and repenting of. We need to recognize and repent spiritual lethargy. Not being lethargic toward our spiritual, uh, spiritual things. This takes place when we fail to obey. A lack of growth inevitably leads to a diminished desire to share Christ with others. If you're lethargic in your faith, most likely it's because you're pretty lethargic in your Bible study. You're lazy in your Bible reading, and people always say, why is this not happening for me? Why, why is this? Why is that? Well, when was the last time you cracked open your Bible and it wasn't Wednesday night or Sunday morning for Sunday school or worship? Could be a reason. Secondly, growing, growing inclusiveness. And all religions lead to God as a prevailing opinion. Sometimes this view affirms Jesus is not the only way to salvation, but he can be found in other good religions. It's a subtle belief that somehow good followers will make it to heaven outside of true Christian conversion. Not true. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. We read that this morning in Sunday school if you're in the Explore the Bible curriculum. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. There's no way around it. Your good works, your attendance, whatever it may be, that does not equate to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's only faith in Jesus Christ by which you are saved. Confessing him as Lord and believing in your heart that God raised his son from the dead is the only way that you are saved. There's a disbelief in hell. This undermines the urgency of one's faith in Christ alone. One must escape the wrath of God, and Jesus is the only refuge. Jesus is the only refuge. Just to give you a quick synopsis of, of what I preached on this past Thursday at, at the BCM is this. We know the story of Rahab, right? We know the story of Rahab. We know that what happened was those spies came in. Rahab lied or, or told a story to the guards. The guards went out the gate. Rahab and the two spies made a pact, made an accord, if you will. 
that if she would get everybody in her house and not be a snitch and nobody else go out and be a snitch, when they come into the city, they're going to save everybody in her household. But they better be in the house and they better not get out and be a tattletale. So they, they said, that's the deal. So what you've got to do is you've got to lower us down. But before you lower us down, we need to know how to differentiate between your house and everybody else's. Because if you know anything about Jericho, it was a huge wall. They could race two chariots side by side on that wall. And people had a house in those walls. So it was a big, big, thick wall. So we had to know how to differentiate. So what did he tell them to do? He said, you take this scarlet cord and you attach it to your window. Now, for all of us that, that, have, that have been around and you've seen castles and you've seen walls, most of the time these walls, and then if you think about uh, Israel and that landscape, it's going to be sand-colored or either gray or different variation shades of white with stone, correct? So if you put a white cord out the, wall, out the window, you're not going to really be able to see it very well, right? So he said, attach this scarlet red cord to your window so we can know. And so when they came in, there was only one way to escape from the wrath that was to come. It was the fact that when they walked around the walls all the times the Lord told them to, and those walls came crumbling down. When that came down, they were looking for one thing, and that was that scarlet cord. And that's the same kind of message we have today. We look back in the Passover when they, shed, when they put the shed blood of the lamb across their doorpost, when the death angel passed by, the wrath of God did not come to those homes because blood was on there. The red scarlet cord represented for us today the blood of Christ. They found that everybody in that house was saved. Everybody was saved in that house because they were obedient Rahab, you read that text, I'm not going to preach it all again, but you read that text and you see Rahab said, the Lord. Many times when she has talked of the Lord has given you this city. The Lord has put fear in our hearts. Our hearts melted when we heard about how he parted the Red Sea and y'all came on over. The Lord did these things. She knew we're in trouble. We need an escape. For you and I, the only way we can escape hell, because hell is real, the only way we're going to escape is if the blood of Jesus is applied to your account. In Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin at all. You've got to have the blood of Christ applied to your account. If not, you are going to hell. It's a real place. Created for Satan and his angels. But you know what though? Everybody don't go to heaven. And although that was not created for mankind, everybody can't go to heaven. Heaven is for those that are a part of God's family. And hell is for those who have rejected him time and time again. Hell is real. There's a disbelief in hell. We got to recognize and repent of these excuses. Busyness. The unchurched needs us to tell them about Jesus. This needs to be on our to-do list. What priority do you give to reaching the lost? There is busyness that is hindering us. We need to repent. We need to recognize that excuse and repent of that excuse of busyness. We need to recognize and repent of the excuse of fear of rejection. Research shows that only one in four unchurched persons will be resistant to faith discussions. Only one in four will be resistant. 75% are open to faith conversations. 
The few with an antagonistic attitude are not rejecting you personally. Their anger is merely a reflection of something in their past. We need to repent and recognize of the excuse of a desire to be tolerant. And listen, the gospel is, in some sense, intolerant. The one true God insists there could be no other gods. He is a jealous God. The Christian message speaks of a narrow way and no other name given under heaven. And Jesus says, I am the way. That's pretty intolerant. And if there's a place where we need to be intolerant, there it is. There's not multiple ways. I know you may have heard that from different things, but there's not. There's one way. Jesus is the way. We need to recognize and repent of the excuse of losing the habit of witnessing. For many reasons, you may have quit witnessing. Witnessing is a discipline. It can be regained. For those of you that, that came on Wednesday nights and were trained in the three circles, you, you should be able to write that on your heart. I mean, it's easy. It's easy. I've used it quite often. And so we need to, we need to repent of losing the habit of witnessing. We need to recognize and repent of the excuse of the lack of accountability. When you have someone holding you accountable, it can increase your zeal for witnessing. My, my brother and friend in Christ, uh, Zach Bozeman, he's going to seminary, and he's on a particular scholarship with the seminary so that his, scholar, so that his, uh, uh, his degree is, is free. He, he could pursue that financially free. Because the church he attends has uh, a smaller attendance and things of that nature. But one of the stipulations of that is he has got to share the gospel every single week. Every single week he's got to share the gospel with a different person. That's part of the requirements of being on this scholarship. And he has to take an account of it. And he has to write down and answer questions from the conversation that he's had with that individual and submit it back to the seminary that he's going to. Guys, would he do that? Would I do that if, I didn't, if, if there wasn't somebody to hold me accountable? Probably not. Probably not. I, that sounds sad. But we have got to be committed folks. And we need somebody to hold us accountable to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. People's lives hang, hang in the balance. Failure to invite. We need to repent of that. When was the last time you invited an unchurched person to church? Have you offered to take someone to church or meet them? It's such a simple gesture that can have a significant outcome. I look around and I see people who have invited folks to church. I see the fruit of people who have invited folks to church. You know? And you don't know what difference that can make, that one church service. That one time to say, you know what, you're valuable enough. I want to take time. I, I'll swing by your house. I'll make a sacrifice of my morning. I'll come by. I'll make that a, a priority to pick you up so that you can be in church with us this morning. That's, that's, that's a big step. Who's your one? Who, is your, who are you reaching out to? And then lastly, you need to recognize and repent uh, of uh, the church not intent on reaching the lost. And this is the statistic I gave earlier. It is said that it takes 85 church members to reach an unsaved person. What a terrible ratio. What a terrible ratio. Churches must regain their passion for the lost. Must regain. We have got to regain our passion for the lost. We have become so content with just sustaining. Sustaining and maintaining. 
We, we've, we've got to get past this idea that it's okay to, be, to, to stay there. We've, we've got to reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the purpose of salvation. It's like I said last week. The church and Jesus are not the same. But yet, we should reach people with Jesus and encourage them to come be a part of the local church. 